Section 9 of The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion by Frederick Milne Edge. Chapter 6 The Staunton Affair, Part 2. The Illustrated London News did not immediately publish the letter, or make any remark upon it, as did the other papers, but at the commencement of the week Paul Morphy received a private communication from Mr. Staunton as follows. Staunton's reply to Morphy. London, October ninth, 1858. Sir, in reply to your letter, I have to observe that you must be perfectly conscious that the difficulty in the way of my engaging in a chess match is one over which I have no control. You were distinctly apprised, in answer to the extraordinary proposal of your friends, that I should leave my home, family, and avocations, to proceed to New Orleans for the purpose of playing chess with you, that a long and arduous contest, even in London, would be an undertaking too formidable for me to embark in without ample opportunity for the recovery of my old strength in play, together with such arrangements as would prevent the sacrifice of my professional engagements." Upon your unexpected arrival here, the same thing was repeated to you, and my acceptance of your challenge was entirely conditional on my being able to gain time for practice. The experience, however, of some weeks, during which I have labored unceasingly to the serious injury of my health, shows that not only is it impracticable for me to save time for that purpose, but that by no means short of giving up a great work on which I am engaged, subjecting the publishers to the loss of thousands, and myself to an action for breach of contract, could I obtain time even for the match itself. Such a sacrifice is, of course, out of all question. A match at chess, or cricket, pro pudor, why doesn't he say, or skittles, may be a good thing in its way, but none but a madman would, for either, forfeit his engagements and imperil his professional reputation. Under these circumstances, I waited only the termination of your late struggle, with Mr. Harwitz, to explain that, fettered as I am at this moment, it is impossible for me to undertake any enterprise which would have the effect of withdrawing me from duties I am pledged to fulfill. The result is not, perhaps, what either you or I desired, as it will occasion disappointment to many, but it is unavoidable, and the less to be regretted, since a contest— wherein one of the combatants must fight under disadvantages so manifest as those I should have to contend against, after many years' retirement from practical chess, with all my attention absorbed and my brain overtaxed by more important pursuits, could never be accounted a fair trial of skill. I have the honour to be, yours, etc., H. Staunton. Paul Morphy, Esquire. P.S. I may add that, Although denied the satisfaction of a set encounter with you at this period, I shall have much pleasure, if you will again become my guest, in playing with you a few games sans façon. Now, the sending of this private communication was a strange course for Mr. Staunton to adopt. It seemed to be a bait for Morphy, in order that Mr. S. might use his reply in the forthcoming article in the Illustrated London News. The young American resolved that all the correspondence should be public and above board, and did not even acknowledge the receipt of the letter. The Saturday following, Mr. Staunton gave as an excuse for not publishing Morphy's missive the length of M.'s games, 
but promised it and his own response next week. On Saturday, the 24th of October, the two following effusions graced the columns of Bell's Life. They had also been sent to The Era, The Field, and The Sunday Times, but, being anonymous, and enclosing no name or address, were refused admittance. Anonymous Letter, apparently from Mr. Staunton. Trinity College, Cambridge, October 9. Mr. Editor, if you entered any chess circle just now, the questions sure to be asked are, how about the Staunton and Morphy match? Will it come off? Suspect Staunton wants to shirk it. Now to these questions it is not always easy to give an answer, and yet they ought to be answered, so as to allow of no possible misconstruction amongst either friends or foes. There is one insinuation which may be very briefly disposed of, namely, that Mr. Staunton wishes to avoid playing. Everyone who knows him is perfectly aware that he is only too ready to play at all times, and that at every disadvantage, rather than incur even the faintest suspicion of showing the white feather. For the benefit of those who have not the pleasure of knowing him, or whose memories are not over-tenacious, I may cite as an example that in 1844, after vanquishing St. Amant, upon a hint in the French papers that his opponent had expressed a wish to have his revenge, Mr. S. at once started for Paris once more, and challenged him to the field. That from 1840 to 1848 Mr. S. played with every antagonist, foreign and English, that could be brought against him. And at the Chess Congress, in 1851, he rose superior to all personal considerations, and did not shrink from risking his hardly-earned reputation when the state of his health was such that he felt he could not do himself justice, and all this solely that the tournament might not want the eclat which his presence could confer upon it. But, sir, I would submit that this is not simply a question between Mr. Staunton and Mr. Morphy. We are all interested in it. Mr. Staunton is the representative of English chess, and must not be allowed to risk the national honor in an unequal contest, to gratify either the promptings of his own chivalrous disposition or the vanity of an antagonist. Oh, then you admit that Morphy is the better player? No such thing. The question is, not as to which is the better player, but whether, if they meet now, they can do so on equal terms. Now, I call it an unequal contest when one player, in tip-top practice, with nothing to distract his attention, engages another who is quite out of play, and whose mind is harassed by the unceasing pressure of other and more important avocations. This is precisely Mr. Staunton's case. He is engaged, in addition to his customary occupations, upon a literary work of great responsibility and magnitude, which leaves him scarcely a moment for any other pursuit, certainly not for chess practice. Indeed, were it merely a question of time, it would be almost impossible for Mr. Staunton to play a match at the present moment. But this is a matter of small importance compared with the mental strain which accompanies such incessant labor. There is nothing which requires more concentration of thought than chess. One moment of relaxed attention, and the fruits of the most profound combination are scattered to the winds. Real chess between two great players is no mere recreation, but a severe study, and should never be attempted when there is anything else to claim the least share of that attention which alone can ensure success. If Mr. Staunton can steal a few months from business, and devote himself wholly to chess, by all means let him do so. 
and then meet Mr. Morphy when and where he pleases, and I for one should have no fear of the result. If he cannot do this, I trust he will have moral courage to say, No. If not, his friend should say it for him. He is, at least, pawn and two, below his force of ten years back, and I repeat that he owes it to the English chess world, whose representative he is, not to meet Mr. Morphy at such odds, when he has everything to lose and nothing to gain. In the present instance, moreover, he is not under the slightest obligation to play, as Mr. Morphy gave him no intimation that he was coming over at this particular time, and I believe Mr. Staunton was not aware of his intention of so doing till he was actually en route, and it is certainly rather a heavy price to pay for the position which Mr. Staunton justly occupies, if he is to be held bound to enter the lists with every young adventurer who has nothing else to do, and who happens to envy him the laurels so fairly won in many hundreds of encounters with nearly all the greatest players of the day. The result of any match which he might now play with Mr. Morphy would prove literally nothing as to their relative chess powers, and I am very unwilling to believe that the American would at all value a victory snatched under such circumstances. Yours obediently, M. A. P.S. Since writing the above, my attention has been drawn to a letter in Bell's Life addressed to Mr. Staunton by Mr. Morphy, in which the latter tries to assume the character of a much-injured and ill-used man. Now, how stands the case? From the time when he made his sudden appearance here to the present moment Mr. Morphy has been fully aware that the delay in the proposed contest did not depend upon Mr. Staunton, who, so far as he is personally concerned, was, and is, prepared to play, though it does not speak much for that man's sense of honour who would ever think of forcing on a contest when the inequality is so immense as it is between Mr. Morphy's position and that of Mr. Staunton the one with literally nothing to do but go where he lists to play chess, the other with scarcely time for sleep and meals, with his brain in a constant whirl with the strain upon it. The one in the very zenith of his skill, after ten years of incessant practice, the other utterly out of practice for that very period. Now, let any one read the reply of Mr. Staunton to the preposterous proposal on the part of Mr. Morphy's friends, that he, Mr. S., should go over to New Orleans, and then say whether Mr. Morphy, after publicly announcing in the American papers his inability from family engagements to visit England before 1859, and then choosing to come over without a moment's warning, has anybody but himself to blame if he finds there is considerable difficulty in inducing a man with family cares and immersed in professional engagements to sacrifice all for the sake of engaging, upon the most unfair and unequal terms, in a match at chess? if Mr. Morphy does not see the force of what I have advanced, perhaps the following analogous case may bring conviction home to him. Let us suppose some ten or fifteen years have elapsed, and that Mr. Morphy, no longer a chess knight-errant, eager to do battle against all comers, has settled down into a steady-going professional man. The bar, I believe, is his destination, and with bewildered brain is endeavouring to unravel the intricacies of some half-dozen lawsuits put into his hands by clients, each of whom, in virtue of his fee, is profoundly impressed with the belief that Mr. Morphy belongs, body and soul, to him. Presently comes a rap at the door, and in walks a young man, fresh from school or college, and at once proceeds to explain the object of his visit, with, "'Mr. Morphy, I come to challenge you to a match at chess,' 
I am aware that you are quite out of practice while I am in full swing. I freely admit that you may have forgotten more than I am ever likely to know, that you have a reputation to lose while I have one to gain, that you have not a moment you can call your own, whilst I have now nothing in the world to occupy my attention but chess. Ne importe. Every dog has his day. I expect you to play me at all costs. My seconds will wait upon you at once, and if you decline I shall placard you a craven through the length and breadth of the Union. How would Mr. Morphy reply to such a challenge? Very much, I suspect, as Mr. Staunton now replies to his. I have no apprehension of your skill. I am quite willing to meet you when I can, but I must choose my own time. I cannot put aside my professional engagements, to say nothing of the loss of emolument entailed by such a course, and risk my reputation as a chess-player at a moment's notice, just to gratify your ambition. In giving such an answer, Mr. Morphy would do perfectly right, and this is precisely the answer which Mr. Staunton now gives to him. And why Mr. Morphy should feel himself aggrieved I cannot possibly imagine. There is one other point which I think deserves mention, namely that four years ago, on the occasion of his being challenged in a similar manner, Mr. Staunton put forth a final proposal to play any player in the world, and to pay his expenses for coming to England. This defi remained open for six months, and he announced that if not taken up in that time he should hold himself exonerated in refusing any future challenges. I now leave the question in the hands of the public, who will, I doubt not, arrive at a correct appreciation of its merits. ANOTHER VERY DISGRACEFUL ANONYMOUS LETTER To the Editor of Bell's Life Mr. Editor It is a pity chess players will not wash their dirty linen at home. Among a few frivolous noodles to whom chess forms the staple of life, Mr. Morphy's jeremades may assume an air of importance, but to sensible men they sound ineffably absurd, while to those who take the trouble of looking a little below the surface they appear something worse. For what are the plain facts of the case? Mr. Morphy started for England, not to play a match with Mr. Staunton, for he was told that that gentleman was too deeply immersed in business to undertake one, but to take part in a general tourney to be held in Birmingham. Upon arriving here he duly inscribed his name on the list of combatants, and paid his entrance fee. On hearing this, Mr. Staunton, in a spirit of what some may call chivalry, but which, looking at his utterly unprepared state for an encounter of this kind, ought more properly to be termed quixotism, entered his name also. Well, what happened? On the mustering of the belligerents, Mr. Morphy, who had come six thousand miles to run a tilt in this tournament, was not present. In his place came a note to say particular business prevented his attendance. A message was dispatched, intimating that his absence would be a great disappointment, etc., etc. His reply was that, understanding neither Mr. S. nor any of the other leading players would take the field, he declined to do so. A second message was forwarded, to the effect that Mr. Staunton was then in Birmingham expressly to meet Mr. Morphy, and that he and several of the best players were awaiting Mr. M.'s arrival to begin the combats. To this came a final answer, to the effect that the length of time that the tourney would last prevented Mr. Morphy from joining in it, but he would run down in two or three days." passing over the exquisite taste of this proceeding, and the disappointment and murmurs it occasioned, I would simply ask, if Mr. Morphy thought himself justified in withdrawing from a contest which he had come thousands of miles to take part in, and to which he was in a manner pledged, upon pretenses so vague and flimsy, 
what right has he to complain if the english player chose to withdraw from one to which he is in no respect bound and against which he may be enabled to offer the most solid and unanswerable objections in asking this i beg to disclaim all intention of provoking a chess-player's controversy a thing in which the public take not the slightest interest and for which i individually entertain supreme contempt i am moved to it only by the spirit of fair play birmingham to these communications the editor appended the following remarks we print the above two letters being all the communications we have received from mr staunton's party relative to morphy's letter in our last we regret these lucubrations are anonymous as not showing how far they really represent the opinions of mr staunton himself and his friends on the subject regarding their style and phraseology mr staunton may perhaps ask to be saved from his friends but that is a matter of taste we shall feel bound to print brief replies from paul morphy's side inferiority once admitted no matter from what cause if mr staunton takes the ground indicated in the above epistles mr morphy has but cheerfully and quietly to drop the subject and will certainly as a gentleman never challenge mr staunton again morphy's friends may still reasonably inquire why all this was not said in june last instead of giving apparent acceptance to the young american's challenge editor bell's life the reader will observe that mr staunton or his friends is the first to commence a newspaper war probably under the impression that lengthy protocoling would sink the real question at issue or induce paul morphy to reply and commit himself but the latter saw too clearly what eventualities might arise and resolved that in spite of all attacks he would never be drawn into discussion in his letter to mr staunton no point was raised on which to build dispute mr s was merely required to say what date he fixed for the match the most sensitive mind could not be heard with anything in the letter and yet fair play talks of mr morphy's jeremades appearing something worse than ineffably absurd m a's lucibration did not obtain admittance into any other paper but fair plays shone resplendently in the columns of the illustrated london news i have not learned who fair play is nor do i wish to know when a man's course is straightforward and courageous he will always find defenders and sometimes ardent partisans morphy's unassuming modesty had made him friends in every chess community men who were ready to battle for him as though it were their own quarrel hitherto not a word had been said by or for morphy in the press and he was determined not to seek succor from that source the ensuing saturday the following letters appeared in bell's life the first being from a friend of our hero well acquainted with the circumstances of the case and the others from prominent members of the metropolitan chess circles a letter from a friend of paul morphy to the editor of bell's life in london sir two letters appeared in your paper of last sunday one with the signature m a the other of fair play in justice to fact those communications must not remain unanswered as the misstatements they contain might perchance mislead some as to the good faith of mr morphy it is in no improper spirit that i appear before your readers under my own name but simply because as i intend replying to your anonymous correspondence with facts not with hypotheses i think i am bound in honour to hold myself responsible for what i advance the chess players of london and birmingham are not ignorant of the intimacy with which mr morphy has honoured me during his visit to europe 
and they will permit me to state that no one is better conversant with the facts bearing on the case in point than your subscriber. Were it not that Paul Morphy positively refuses to reply to any attack upon himself, preferring that his actions should be the sole witness to his faith, I should not have troubled you or the public with this communication. On the 4th of last February, the New Orleans Chess Club challenged Mr. Staunton to visit the Crescent City to meet Mr. Paul Morphy in a chess match. On the 3rd of April, the former gentleman replied to this defi in the Illustrated London News in the following language. The terms of this cartel are distinguished by extreme courtesy and, with one notable exception, by extreme liberality also. The exception in question, however, we refer to the clause which stipulates that the combat shall take place in New Orleans, appears to us utterly fatal to the match, and we must confess our astonishment that the intelligent gentlemen who drew up the conditions did not themselves discover this. Could it possibly escape their penetration that if Mr. Paul Morphy, a young gentleman without family ties or professional claims upon his attention, finds it inconvenient to anticipate by a few months an intended visit to Europe, his proposed antagonist, who is well known for years to have been compelled, by laborious literary occupation, to abandon the practice of chess beyond the indulgence of an occasional game, must find it not merely inconvenient, but positively impracticable, to cast aside all engagements, and undertake a journey of many thousand miles for the sake of a chess encounter. Surely the idea of such a sacrifice is not admissible for a single moment. If Mr. Morphy, for whose skill we entertain the liveliest admiration, be desirous to win his spurs among the chess chivalry of Europe, he must take advantage of his proposed visit next year. He will then meet in this country, in France, in Germany, and in Russia, many champions whose names must be as household words to him, ready to test and do honor to his prowess. No one would regard the above observations as tantamount to aught else than, if you will come to Europe, I will play you but we are relieved from the difficulty of discovering Mr. Staunton's real meaning by his reiterated declarations that he would play Mr. Morphy. Within a few days of the latter's arrival in London, the English player stated his intention of accepting the match, but postponed the commencement of it for a month, on the plea of requiring preparation. In the month of July the acceptance of the challenge was announced in the Illustrated London News. Before the expiration of the time demanded in the first instance, Mr. Staunton requested that the contest should not take place until after the Birmingham meeting. At Birmingham he again declared his intention of playing the match, and fixed the date for the first week in November, in the presence of numerous witnesses. Mr. Morphy may have erred in believing that his antagonist intended to act as his words led him to suppose, but it was an error shared in common by every one then present, and particularly by Lord Littleton, the president of the British Chess Association, who recognized the true position of the case in his speech to the association, stating that he wished him, Mr. Morphy, most cordially success in his encounters with the celebrated players of Europe, whom he had gallantly left home to meet. He should be pleased to hear that he vanquished all, except one, but that one, Mr. Staunton, he must forgive him, as an Englishman, for saying he hoped he would conquer him." Report of Birmingham Meeting, Illustrated London News, September 18, 1858. So firmly convinced were the members of Mr. S.'s own club, the St. George's, that he had accepted the challenge, that a committee was formed and funds raised to back him. What those gentlemen must now think of Mr. Staunton's evasion of the match can easily be understood, but so strong was the conviction in other chess circles that he would not play that large odds were offered to that effect. 
M.A.'s Reasons for Not Playing, or M.A.'s Reasons for Mr. Staunton's Not Playing, a distinction without a difference, as we shall hereafter show, is that he is engaged upon a literary work of great responsibility and magnitude. Did not this reason exist prior to Mr. Morphy's arrival in June? And if so, why were Mr. Morphy, the English public, and the chess community generally, led into the belief that the challenge was accepted? And what did Mr. Staunton mean by stating at Birmingham, in the presence of Lord Littleton, Mr. Avery, and myself, that if the delay until November were granted him, he could in the meanwhile supply his publishers with sufficient matter so as to devote himself subsequently to the match? Mr. Staunton's, I mean M.A.'s, remark in the letter under review, I, Staunton, or M.A. indifferently, have no apprehension of your skill, is hardly consonant with the previous observation that he, Staunton, is at least pawn and two below his force, unless the English chess world representative wishes it to be understood that he could offer those odds to Paul Morphy. Nor is it consonant with the fact that he has never consented to play Mr. Morphy a single game, though asked to do so, and when frequently meeting him at St. George's. Of course, the two consultation games played by him, in alliance with Alter, against Messrs. Barnes and Morphy count for nothing, as they were gained by the latter, a result due, doubtless, to Alter alone. Mr. Morphy, in the eyes of the chess world, can have nothing to gain from a contest with this gentleman. When Mr. Staunton has met even players such as Anderson, Heiderbrandt, and Lowenthal, he has succumbed, whilst his youthful antagonist can cite a roll of victories unparalleled since Labradonius. And here is the true reason for M.A.'s saying, Staunton must not be allowed to risk the national honor, question mark, in an unequal contest. In wishing M.A. adieu, I would state that his style of composition is so like Mr. Staunton's that no one could detect the difference. And no one but Mr. Staunton himself would ever set up such a defense as M.A.'s, that of inferiority, pawn and two below his strength, etc., etc., and no one but Mr. Staunton could have such intimate knowledge of his own thoughts as we find in the following verbatim quotations from M.A.'s letter. The state of his health was such that he felt he could not do himself justice. His mind harassed. The other, Staunton, was scarcely time for sleep and meals, with his brain in a constant whirl with the strain upon it. In the language of the Holy Writ, no man can know the spirit of man, but the spirit of man which is in him. Served up in a mass of foul language, the letter signed Fair Play contains an obvious untrue assertion, namely, Mr. Morphy started for Europe not to play a match with Mr. Staunton. This is rather outrageous in the face of the challenge from the New Orleans Chess Club, and with Mr. S.'s reply in the Illustrated London News of April 3rd. So much was it Mr. Morphy's desire to play him, and so little his intention to engage in the Birmingham tournament, that he informed the secretary he did not regard such a contest as any true test of skill. To sum up the whole matter, I will state the naked facts. 1. Mr. Morphy came to Europe to play Mr. Staunton. 2. Mr. Staunton made everybody believe he had accepted the challenge from Mr. Morphy. 3. Mr. Staunton allowed the St. George's Chess Club to raise money to back him. 4. Mr. Staunton asked for a delay of one month in order to brush up his openings and endings. 5. Mr. Staunton requested a postponement until after the Birmingham meeting. 6. 
Mr. Staunton fixed the beginning of November for the commencement of the match. If all this does not mean, I will play, then there is no meaning in language. I beg to subscribe myself, Mr. Editor, most respectfully yours. Frederick Milnes Edge. Hotel Bertuel, Paris, October 20th, 1858. End of section 9